with everything in my entire heart. I believe that no matter what our circumstances are, we can experience, as the followers of Jesus, hope and comfort and encouragement in a life that's lived in community and on mission. I'm going to say that again because that's the whole sermon this morning. It's the whole text we're going to discuss this morning. And I don't usually do that. I don't usually start off with the big summary statement. That's like a preaching style that doesn't usually fit me. But there are so many people. I don't think I'm a super connected guy. Like my circle ain't that big. And there are so many people in my circle who are hurting today. And I just got to tell you, I believe... That independent of our circumstances, like no matter how bad we're hurting or not hurting, maybe we're killing it. Regardless of our circumstances, as the people of God, we can experience hope today. Regardless of our circumstances, we can experience encouragement in the heartbreak. We can experience comfort in a life that's lived in community. And a life that's lived on mission. And that's what we're going to see in the text today. So grab your Bible if you would. And let's say our creed together before we dive into God's word today. Hold them up in the air. And let's declare this together this morning. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind. And give me grace to respond. Change me. For your glory and my joy. Amen. Please turn to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. I know we covered a lot of chapter 16 two weeks ago. We covered all of chapter 17 last week. This week we're only going to get through the first handful of verses. And part of the reason is because um, one of the one of the rules uh, that I subscribe to that I believe in in preaching, um, a brilliant theologian once said... Uh, that we first exegete the congregation and then we exegete the text. That is, so exegete means to work through and unpack. Okay, so the, this theologian said that God's word does not exist in a vacuum. It's proclaimed to real people in the middle of a real moment and a real situation. And so uh, I've almost struggled a little bit with this morning's text because I do feel that it's it's kind of, geared towards those who don't feel like they're thriving at life right now. And so if you feel like life's the best it's ever been for you, I don't want you to feel like an outsider this morning (laughs) or like this text doesn't apply to you. But I also at 45 years old have had enough birthdays to know that killing it today doesn't mean winning tomorrow necessarily. (laughs) And so even if this feels like it doesn't hit where you're at today, I'd submit it might unfortunately hit tomorrow. And so I want to lean in this text and to get the setting, we start off with verse number one here of Acts chapter number 18, a simple statement. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Last week, we saw Paul in Athens, um, his incredible sermon delivered at Mars Hill. And after he leaves us, he goes to Corinth and Corinth is Corinth is the setting for the text that we're going to begin this morning. And it's an important Uh, that we slow down on this verse and understand the setting 
because we can't say that independent of the circumstances, God offers hope in a life lived in community on mission without talking about this particular circumstance. Corinth was a powerful and important city in that moment that I think relates to us today. It was a city that was known for its affluence. It was a city that was known for their athletics. One of the most difficult words I will say this morning is the Isthmian Games. Remember the studying about the Isthmus when you were in school? It's like that needs some more vowels, man. There's just too many consonants side by side. The Isthmian Games were uh, just behind the Olympic Games for changing the world when it came to this. So it's a culture that's very entertained, very wealthy and very entertained. But it's a city that's marked by sexual immorality. It's defined by unbiblical sexual ethics. That's what they're known for. The word Corinth is a proper noun. The word Corinthian is an adjective that does not just mean a person from Corinth. Corinthian was what you called someone, regardless of where they were from, if you wanted to insult them, if you wanted to accuse them, if you wanted to Corinthian shame them, you would call them a Corinthian, right? means you are a little loose. So to call someone, they, w- they wouldn't have said, hey, you're kind of pervy. They wouldn't have said, you're a little sus. They just said, you're Corinthian. <laughs> there it is. In a Greek play, if a person was playing the role of a Corinthian, here's how the audience knew they were supposed to be Corinthian. They acted drunk. If a person walked out on stage and acted super drunk, they're like, oh, he's the Corinthian in the play. Got it. She's not known for very high moral standard. And first, so in this city, right, we have clearly an understanding of it. If you've been around church anytime, you're like, oh, there's two letters to the Corinthians. And the reality is we think there was at least four letters written to the Corinthians. Two of them are in the canon of Scripture. But what we call First Corinthians references a previous letter. So there's .5 Corinthians out there somewhere. And then there's First Corinthians. And then the book of Second Corinthians references a letter between those two letters. So there's 1.5 Corinthians out there somewhere. This is a, a, a church that Paul has a, a deep and abiding relationship. And one of the things he says to this congregation, he's like, man, th- there's no place in the kingdom of God for sexual immorality. Of such were some of you. He says, listen, in the midst of this immorality, you used to be Corinthian, but now you belong to another kingdom. We talked about King Jesus last week. He's like, hey, you've got a new identity. You've got a new king. His name is Jesus. You're no longer bound by the addiction to entertainment around you or the addiction to affluence around you and certainly not the sexual immorality around you. You're defined by belonging to King Jesus now. And the reason he can say that there's a past tense and now there's this new present tense is because of the moment we're walking into in the text. And I think it's captured. I've, I've never, I've never seen this with my heart before. And so 
I've never said this before, so I hope it makes sense when it comes out of my mouth. One of the things Corinth was known for was Corinthian architecture. That's still a thing, right? Corinthian architecture. As a matter of fact, we've already, in our study in Acts, talked about the best Corinth has to offer. We spent three weeks in Acts chapter 3. Discussing a man who'd been lame his entire life over 40 years. He encounters not silver or gold, but the name that is above every name. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he gets up and doesn't just walk. He leaps and dances and makes quite a scene. That happens, if you remember, at the beautiful gate. A gate that was so beautiful... That when they came up with the name for it, they were like, let's just call it beautiful. (laughs) Right? That's pretty beautiful. When your nickname is beautiful, you must be pretty beautiful. 75 feet tall gates that were from Corinth. Those gates came from this pagan place. They sent their best beauty To the house of God. Now, in Acts chapter number 18, God sends the beauty of his gospel of grace to them. How great is that? Like, there, you used to have to walk through a Corinthian gate to enter in the presence of God, and now he's sending the gospel to them to invite them into himself. Woo, that's good. Right? This is, that's a more beautiful gate. (laughs) then the best thing the Corinthian people had to offer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the middle of a place that's not that different from what we're used to, verses 2 and 3. And Paul shows up at that place. He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them because he was of the same trade. He stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. I want you to notice, and this is where we're more getting to the heart of where I wanted to go this morning. This church at Corinth, this congregation that we still know about today, (laughs) began with two refugees who were just trying to start over and make a way in life. I want you to think about that. They've been exiled from Rome because of nothing other than religious persecution. Do you know why they got kicked out of Rome? Because Aquila was Jewish. Period, hard stop, nothing else. Nothing more to the story. Because of his ethnicity and his religion, they were kicked out. Historians tell us there was a riot in Rome that got blamed uh, on Jewish men and women, some think it actually might have had to do with the story of Jesus. We don't really know for sure. All we know for sure is that the emperor commanded, he expelled and banned all Jewish people from Rome. This total upheaval of their lives, life looked finished for them. Dead end. Closed door. But God was just beginning a whole new story for them. J.D. Greer said God takes dead ends and uses them as new beginnings. 
There are no cul-de-sacs in the kingdom of God. Think about that for a minute. It's going to take you a minute. Picture cul-de-sac. It stops. You have to go in a circle. There's no cul-de-sacs in the kingdom of God. He keeps plowing a path forward. There's no dead ends. Maybe this morning you feel like you're at a dead end. Life is not turning out how you expected. Maybe your your job doesn't look like what you thought it would or your role in it doesn't look like you thought it would. Or maybe there's a relationship that's not working out like you expected or even dreamed. Maybe you're listening to this sermon and you'd say, I'm a refugee. Actually, I don't belong here. I feel out of place. I don't feel at home. I got great news for you this morning. Your plan might look like a dead end, but God's just getting started because that's the kind of God he is. We talked a couple weeks ago about how God closes doors and he opens doors because he's in the business of open hearts. And I just got to tell you this morning, there ain't no more closed door that's ever existed than the stone that was rolled in front of a borrowed tomb. And Jesus walked through that before the thing could get rolled away. So there's no closed door that's the end of your story today. There's no disappointment that means you don't have a path forward. You don't have to have a plan. We follow a God who's in the business of new beginnings. No closed door is the end of our story. There's no dead or dead end than a grave. And we follow the one who defeated the grave. So there's hope. No matter our circumstance today, There's hope in the person of Jesus. And I want you to see that that hope is experienced when we live in community and on mission. Because what happens with Aquila and Priscilla is they don't just find Jesus, they find new friends. The Apostle Paul becomes a lifelong friend with these two. Throughout the rest of his letters, including his final letters, he references them. They're still serving the Lord. They're still being faithful in this community in Romans chapter 16, the last chapter of the book of Romans. He calls them fellow workers in the gospel. And he, in the English standard version, he says they risked their necks for the sake of the gospel. Now understand that when the scripture says risk your neck, they don't mean that the way we mean it. Because we mean they took a risk. He actually means they risk their necks. <laughs> Like the thing, the physical thing, right? They put their life on the line for the sake of the gospel. And then he says that he gives thanks for them in the book of Romans. And then says, not only me, but all the churches of the Gentiles. That's a lot of people giving thanks for somebody's faithfulness, right? That's quite an influence. And then he says, there's a church in your home. Even still, even then, there's a church meeting in their home. This hope of new beginnings is fleshed out in community on mission, not just in a vacuum. They're actually doing work together. They're, it says tent makers. And I, I just got to tell you, I'm not enough of a historian to pretend to understand what that means. The word actually means leather workers. Um, it's usually translated in most English translations as tent makers. And that might be what they did. Um, one uh, theologians said that a lot of the tents were made out of leather, so it makes sense that 
leather workers was translated into tent makers. I don't know if that's true. I don't camp. <laughs> and if if I did, I wouldn't have back then. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, so I, I, I don't totally know what they did. I just know that whatever they did, they did together. And that's the point. Verse 4, and he reasoned. There's that word again. We looked at that last week. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, J.D. Greer said, finally, the interns showed up. But I do want you to see, right, his companions have arrived. So this hope, this endurance and encouragement is found in community. Right. And so it's not insignificant that that Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia. And I want you to see what Paul was doing. He's occupied with the word. Testifying to the Jews that the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, was Jesus. Verse six, when they opposed and reviled him parenthesis, like they have everywhere else he's been. He shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And I want to spend a lot of time here. I just want to say this for two seconds. Your your blood be on your own heads sounds very (laughs) unnice, right? Sounds kind of mean. Not that Paul was the warmest (laughs) Uh, guy uh, uh, through much of his writings and teachings. But I think there's a great principle here. When when you've shared the story of Jesus with someone, you've done the only thing God's asked you to do. Understand, he's not called you to make converts. He's, he's called you to testify of Jesus. I've experienced Jesus, Right? Y'all heard me say this a lot of times. When I grew up, when you shared your faith with someone, it was called soul winning. And I don't like that phrase because it implies there's such a thing as soul losing. And here's the deal. The winning and losing is not up to us. That is infinitely above our pay grade. We're simply called to make much of Jesus with whoever we're doing life with. And the rest is up to him. He left there and went to the house of a man with a difficult name. I'm going to call him Titius, but that's actually a short vowel I. I'm just not saying that word. It took somebody a minute. Somebody just got it. Did you hear that? Titius Justice, a worshiper of God, His house was next door to the synagogue. Again, I don't want to spend a lot of time chasing this rabbit, but there are so many fancy ideas out there among church people about how to reach the community. Like we've made this thing so strategic and complicated. And I just love the beauty of, no, they shared Jesus with him because he was next door. Well, what was the strategy? He was nearby. Right, but what was the method? Uh, He had ears. (laughs) So we talked to him. We think he's he's referenced later, uh, along with the the next verse, 
which sounds like a great breakfast cereal. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And so we have these two people referenced here. One's the ruler of the synagogue. And it's it's impossible for us to fully understand the risk or or the cost that Crispus encountered in order to give his life to Jesus as the ruler of the synagogue. It's pretty extraordinary. And the guy who lived next door, Titius. Um, back in this time in history, most people that we know of historically actually had three names. And scholars assume that one of Titius Justice's other names was the name Gaius, as if Titius wasn't bad enough. And that's important because in First in Corinthians, a text that we're actually looking more at, uh, Lord willing, next Sunday, he says, the only people I baptized in Corinth were Crispus, Gaius, and the household of Stephanus. I think this is a reference to this moment here. And now we're getting to the, the heart of the heart, verses 9 and 10. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. What we know about this moment is that Paul was discouraged. He was weary. We know this because he told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, When I was with you, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. He's sad. He's experiencing anxiety. He's struggling and clearly felt pretty alone. He'd been in Athens alone, except for Luke. Now he comes to Corinth alone, this pagan, aggressive culture, immoral culture, mostly alone. At some point in time, this all wore on him. And the reason that I'm so glad that this is where we find ourselves in the book of Acts today. There's a lot of people that I love a lot today that I believe are weary. They feel weak. They're afraid. They're anxious. And what I want to share with you this morning is nothing less than a vision from God. Right here in the text. You want a fresh vision? There's one right here that I think could be incredibly helpful for us today. I want us to unpack this vision. The first words that God whispers are, do not be afraid. There's a vision to trust in the power of God. There's a vision to stand in the courage that's only found in a powerful God. I, this, listen, the circumstance might be super intimidating. I'm not, I'm not asking you to deny that 
or ignore that. We're not being fake here. We're not lying to ourselves about what scary stuff is fearful. That's why it's called scary. I'm just challenging you. Let's turn our vision somewhere other than just the thing we're afraid of. There's a God who's got this and who's got you. The power of God. This power to not be afraid, but continue speaking. Don't be silent. We'll circle back to that in a minute, but I want you to see this. Here's where the courage is found. Here's where the power is found. For I am with you. There is no power of God apart from the presence of God. And what I want to say this morning is you might not feel desperate for the power of God, but you are. Maybe you know that. Maybe you walked in here saying, man, I'm aware that I need to experience the presence of God. But if you didn't walk in here aware, let me just be the first to tell you. You ain't got this, but he does. You don't need to look within. You don't need to muster up some fake, false self-motivation. You don't need self-help. We need the manifest presence of a God who's all-powerful. And here's why that's so important. He's here. Like, we need his presence, and he's closer than the air we breathe. You, you feel, like we sing songs about inviting the presence of God and we use language like, man, God, will you come be near? And that's an appropriate way to pray. But, but don't misunderstand. He can't get closer than he is. He is present. We, we don't need God to come and move among the American church. We need the American church to wake up to the fact that he's present. He's here. And if there's any power, if there's any courage, if there's how am I going to make this through? The only hope is that he's close. He's not playing hard to get. He didn't forget where you are. He has not abandoned you. He's close. I am with you. And then he says, no one will attack you to harm you. I struggle a little bit with that. Because I'm kind of like, hey, God, have you read the book of Acts? Right? Like, this is your book, ain't it? I mean, if you're here... You know that literally three verses prior, it says they opposed and reviled him. And I think I think I think what God's saying to us is you won't experience any pain that I haven't leveraged for beautiful purposes. Like there's, there's no disappointment or opposition or pain or grief that you are encountering or have encountered or will encounter that is not superintended by a gracious and loving and present father. 
because he's present, there's protection. Like he's not just, here's the thing. If you call me in an hour of need, I'm there. But I have no idea if I can actually help. But I'll be there. Man, I'll be a shoulder to crown. I'll be ears to listen. Hopefully I'll give you some biblical counsel that you will not follow. And I'll be there. But when he's close, right? So I got to share this story with you. Um, Hurricane Ian just made a mess of things in South Florida. Um, at the very last minute, Hurricane Ian took a, a south turn. It was actually not supposed to do the ruin that it did in South Florida. It was supposed to hit in Central Florida. It was anticipated to hit almost dead on Tampa. Anytime a storm is hitting Florida, our radar is up because our family is there. Uh, we're, we're from Jacksonville, Florida, if you didn't know that. Um, but even more so, this storm was different for me because my brother Greg is in Tampa. If you don't know my brother Greg, he's a disaster relief missionary. And so I said, why are you not evacuating? He was like, dude, I'm a dead disaster relief missionary. I'm like, maybe you're just a disaster. So I was paying closer attention because he was there, but the storm was projected to go to, I mean, just make a mess of Tampa and go straight at an angle towards Jacksonville. And our extended family is in Jacksonville. But here's what's different about that storm versus any storm that has hit Florida in the last 13 and a half years where we've been far from our family. The difference with this time is our firstborn son is there. Our son is a freshman at Trinity College in, in Jacksonville, Florida. And I we love our family very much, and I love my brother very much, but there's just something about your kid. Can I get a witness from the parents in the room? I had the strongest impulse, almost overwhelming, to just go get on a plane. Can we talk about that for a minute? How dumb is that? I wanted to fly towards a hurricane. And as clear as day, I'm telling you, I was driving down Randall Mill Road and the Holy Spirit said, every time you've ever faced a storm, that's how I have felt about you. And the difference is, When he shows up, we don't both have to go to a bomb shelter. He actually has the authority to protect me in the storm. And sometimes he's chosen to take me out of the storm. But just as many times as not, he's pulled a Jim Cantor and just stayed and made it through the storm. The power of God cannot be experienced apart from the presence of God and the protection of God.
We also can't experience that apart from the people of God. Because I want you to see the rest of his encouragement to him. When he says the word for, that, that's like because. This, this makes sense of everything else I've said. I have many in this city who are my peeps. And, and we think about the word many. The Apostle Paul's like, I came here with Luke. I mean, we met Aquila and Priscilla, two refugees who were just trying to put their life together. Fortunately, we met the guy with the three awkward names and Crispus. Silas and Timothy showed up. That didn't feel very many. Yet I believe he's telling them that the people of God, whether they're a whole bunch or just a few, the people of God are where we experience the presence of God and the protection of God. I've never seen God. I don't know what he looks like. I've never heard his audible voice. But I've experienced the presence of God with people who look a lot like you. Right? I've had, I've had people who look just like you give me counsel that has saved my life. I've had people who look just like you give me encouragement that has saved my life. Correction that saved my life. I think we want to experience the mystical presence of God apart from the manifest presence of God. And we don't understand why we're not experiencing the power and the protection. And I believe it's experienced among the community of God's people. The discipline that says, I'm going to go sit in a circle. Some of the more type A people struggle with our community groups because it just doesn't seem efficient enough. There's no whiteboard. There's no Excel spreadsheets. Like all we're doing is just sharing about the Bible and life. Absolutely. Because we can't experience the presence of God and the power of God and the protection of God on our own. We need to just be together. And then here's, here's the last thing in this kind of snapshot. The power of God is experienced in the presence of God and the protection of God among the people of God who are on mission with the plan of God. Because I believe the many that he referenced in this text are people that Paul had not yet met. People who had not yet heard about Jesus. It's the neighbor on the other side of the synagogue. <laughs> See, the, the mission of God on planet Earth is that the, the people who've experienced his presence and his protection and his power tell somebody else about it. Not the people who've got it all figured out. Not the people who are like, hey, there's been no storms. They've been like, dude, I'm surviving a storm. Can you believe it? Let me tell you about my storm shelter. You got to get you one of these. His name's Jesus. It is that we, in the text here, that we are speaking and not remaining silent. 
And far too often we want to experience the power of God, the, the benefits of God's presence and the, the joy of God's protection apart from a life that's lived on a mission that's greater than ourselves. We can't fully experience the, the joy and glory of this in a life that is oriented towards self. Even self-protection. It's in a cause that's greater than us. I believe that God uses everyday people with everyday problems and everyday fears and everyday anxieties and everyday disappointments to carry the greatest hope into the world the world could ever know. Flourishing is only found in a life that's lived on mission greater than self. And I want you to see what the Apostle Paul did. He stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Those of you who were here last Sunday, we talked about the pattern, that word was used in the text, of Paul's ministry, as was his custom. I think is how the ESV words it. His custom, his pattern. And it was what? That he would stay for three Sabbaths. But he stays here a year and a half. It's the longest he has stayed anywhere up to this point. It's not the longest he ever stays anywhere. He stays twice that long in Ephesus eventually in his third missionary journey. But there's there's something about that verse that speaks this to me. It's almost like it's saying, and so Paul trusted what God said. Paul submitted to the vision. Paul saw the vision, he caught the vision, he heard the vision, and then he trusted it. I'm going to do what you said. I'm going to keep speaking Jesus because I'm going to trust in your power, your manifest presence, your protection in the face of opposition, doing life among God's people, just sticking with your plan. My plans consistently seem to be hitting closed doors and roadblocks and dead ends, but I'm going to trust your plan. I'm just going to keep trusting you and not remaining silent. And so I'm going to, I want to end with some real practical thoughts here this morning. Here's the first thing I want to ask you. Who are you connecting with among God's people? Like, who are you really connecting with? Who are you getting to know better today than you knew six months ago? Who's just a follower of Jesus. Like you're connecting with them just because they're a follower of Jesus. You might have nothing else in common. Right? Who are you connecting with? And those of you who are are plugged in, I just want to challenge you to stay faithful in a community group. I believe that we were offered some lessons during the pandemic about our pace that we are wholly ignoring already. And I believe the rush feels worse to our souls now than it did three years ago. Does that make sense to anybody? I believe the pace is hurting our souls worse because we know better. We know what rest feels like. And 
I believe we're allowing the pace to choke out some really important things in our life. And I just want to encourage you to continue to create space to connect with God's people. Say, well, I'm not in a community group. Well, you can join one this week. Say, well, I'm not ready to do that. Sweet. Then let's have coffee. I don't want to do coffee. Okay, let's do lunch. Well, I don't want to do lunch. Okay, let's just meet out on the sidewalk and talk. Whatever, man. Who are you connecting with among the people of God? And I mean this question. I'm not looking for an audible answer. Do you know a list of names of people who pray for you? Do you know a list? I believe there's... That's the presence of God in your life, is knowing you've got people who are talking to God on your behalf. That's the manifest presence of God in your life. And if you don't have that list, we'd love to step right up into that right now today. We're we're volunteering. Would you let us in? Who are you connecting with? And the second thing is, who are you investing in? Who are you connecting with and who are you investing in? Who are you pouring out the plan of God into? Whose lives are you speaking into? Whose lives are you passing faith into? And I'm going to throw out a couple practical ways. I would say this. If you say, I don't know that I'm pouring my life into anybody, you can volunteer to serve with Temple Kids. You don't have to teach. You don't have to be profound. You can literally just be present in the life of a child for no other purpose than to show them, hey, Jesus is cool. That's the job description. Zip. You're like, well, I'm too old for that. That's the enemy. One generation is supposed to proclaim the next generation to set their hope in him. And let me say specifically to the parents in the room. Are you investing your faith in the hearts of your kids through ordinary conversations about life through a God-centered perspective. The Apostle Paul heard the vision from God, keep speaking and do not be silent. Because of what I'm called to do for a living, every time I mention the name of Jesus to my kids, they say, stop preaching. Don't preach to me, Dad. And then we have great conversations about Jesus. It doesn't have to be profound. It doesn't have to be deep. Just about life. Are we having regular conversations about God with our kids? Do they know that he's what it's all about? J.D. Greer suggested this, and so I'm going to offer offer a practical suggestion with this. He said, sit your kids down without distraction and ask them this. What do you all think is the most important stuff in this family? What do you think are the most important things in this family? That's an awesome question. And I would just say, take a deep breath and walk in grace. Because maybe they'll say something that isn't what you had hoped to hear. Right? What do you think is most important in this house? Winning an argument. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what they might say. Daddy's job. Ouch. Yeah, it, whatever. But ask the question and just see what conversation might come out of it. Um, because I think it can be a holy moment to say, I'm going to tell you what's most important in this family. That we would know God follow after him and love him all our days simple it can be over lunch today are we having conversations so who are you connecting with who are you investing in you can do that with temple kids you can do that at home to the non-parents i would circle back and say one of the ways you can invest 
in the kingdom of God is by coming with us to see the nations. Today's the deadline for our two mission trips for 2023 for our high school students. We're going to Guatemala for our adults. We're going to Dominican Republic where even last night on the phone hearing how God's moving there, that God's up to something special there. We would love to go serve alongside these godly men and women. And so we invite you. Let's go. Let's go invest in something other than ourselves. Another way we can invest in the the house next to the synagogue is trunk or treat. The purpose of trunk or treat has nothing to do with candy or costumes. We all get that, right? Right? It has to do with the fact that the house next door to the synagogue might not know that there's hope in Jesus Christ. And so if handing out candy and dressing like an idiot helps them listen to us and have a conversation, we can keep speaking and not be silent. That there's hope found in Jesus. And I share that because right now we have about half of the number of trunks signed up for that we need. And we have about a fourth of the candy that we need to do that event well. And so a practical way you can invest in something to pour out faith in the lives around you is decorate your car and dress up like an idiot. And bring some candy. Lots of candy. Here's the the last practical thing I would mention of how we can be investing our life. Several weeks ago, we announced to you Project Gera. This this commitment to raise $60,000 for a church in the Dominican Republic so that they can secure a building of their own and finish the construction of it. I shared with you um, that that's already been matched by a 50% donor. We already have $30,000. We're already able. Um, my brother Greg met this past week with the owner of that property, and it's being secured. Um, so we just need to raise the construction funds. Maybe God would speak to your heart and say, here's something I can do that isn't about me to help invest in the plan of God. I don't think it's our plan. I think it's his plan. We're just coming alongside of it. So who are you connecting with and who are you investing in? And then I would say this. Are you hurting today? Are you afraid today? feeling anxiety today? Are you weary? I believe the presence of God is available to you today. He's not playing hide and seek. He's not hoping that you'll get your life in order so that he can be present. He's never standoffish. He's never embarrassed to be seen in public with us. He's present. But maybe this morning we need to orient our heart towards his nearness. We're always in the business of singing these songs where we're inviting him. And the reality is this morning, I believe he's inviting you to just see how close he is and how much he is for you. And in his presence, there is power and there is protection that cannot be found anywhere else.